Our sermon scripture uh, for today comes from Ezekiel 34, the entire chapter, and this I will be reading from the New International Version of the Bible. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled, ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. Hill, They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look for my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There, there they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I'll bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. It is enough for you to feed on the good pasture. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says to, to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you, have, you shove the flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with their horns until you have driven them away, 
I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them, and he will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in forests in safety. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I'll send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslave them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I'll provide for them a land renowned for its crops and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Hi, Renew. Good morning. I am so excited to be bringing you the message this morning because, in fact, I am um, taking a seminary class on preaching, and we had to preach one Old Testament sermon and one New Testament sermon. And the Old Testament's a really big place, so I was looking through it like, I don't even know what I'm going to pick here. And then I had momentarily wondered if I should preach out of Ezekiel, um, because like years ago, this is like two or three years ago, we had a college group, and um, I had confessed to them that I had never made it through the entire book of Ezekiel. It just like sank me. I just like could not get through that. So I had never read all the way through the Bible ever because I'd never finished Ezekiel. And so of course, then it was like this challenge and we did a group Bible book study on Ezekiel with our college kids and it was awesome. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll do Ezekiel and find something good from a couple years ago. And then I had actually checked the November lectionary readings for Renew to see like what was out there for the Old Testament. And today's lectionary reading was from Ezekiel 34. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'm so excited. So it made my choice for me. And I'm really excited to look at this chapter with you guys. So I'm gonna just pray and then we're gonna get started. Thank you, Jesus, for our time in your word today. Thank you of for the powerful reminder that's in this chapter about who you are and what you're doing in this world. Uh, please give us hope and strength to trust in you and to trust in your work that you're doing. And please give us hope and strength to participate in the work that you've called us to do. Amen. So in case you're like me and you've either never made it all the way through Ezekiel or you read it once and have avoided it ever since, let's just talk about the book for a minute before we get to chapter 34. So Ezekiel was a priest originally in Jerusalem. 
he gets taken into exile in Babylon. And when he's in Babylon, he becomes a prophet. So God calls him to become a prophet to the exiles that are in Babylon and gives him pretty startling visions and has him perform these horrible sign acts. And a lot of it, the whole time up until chapter 34, there are just a few blips that are comforting and helpful, but most of it is really harsh, like, you guys have broken the covenant. You've been breaking the covenant for years. Like, I am bringing judgment now. This is what's going to happen. Jerusalem is going to fall. The temple is going to be destroyed. And so Ezekiel has to proclaim this horrible news for most of the book to his fellow exiles who really don't believe him. There are other prophets, false prophets around them that are like, don't even worry about it. Like we're going to be back in Jerusalem in no time. And they're very confident that like it couldn't be possibly be them that need to repent or that they think that their heritage is covering them as Hebrew people or that they just need someone righteous to pray for them like a Noah. Um, so they really think they're sort of like safe. And Ezekiel has to keep proclaiming, no, like, we as a nation have continually broken the covenant. We've run away after other gods. We've made alliances with other nations. We've done horrible desecrating acts in the temple that make it impossible for God to stay there. And most of it is really like doom and gloom. And then in chapter 30, I think, and don't quote me on that now, I need to double check. In chapter 30, they get the news in exile that Jerusalem has fallen, the temple is destroyed. So Ezekiel's prophecies have come true. And here he is, this priest who will never be a priest again because his temple is destroyed. And he is still called by God to be a prophet to these people. And it's like, what is there even going to be? next? Like, what are we going to even say next? Like God did what he said he was going to do. The temple's destroyed. Like we have been punished. And yet suddenly we get to this place in Ezekiel 34 where there's this huge turning point. And there have been these tiny spots of reassurance along the way about how God wants them to repent and that he doesn't take any pleasure in their suffering, and he wants them to turn to him again. But those have been like really small blips. And then all of a sudden here we have this whole chapter that's full of really good news. And after all that destruction, we suddenly get this picture of God at work and God still with the people. And it's in the familiar metaphor of sheep and shepherds that we've seen in other spots in, in scripture. And if you've grown up in the Christian community, like that language is very normal to hear. And God reinstates his covenant of peace for his people in this chapter. And he declares, I will shepherd the flock with justice. God does this in two ways. He does this by judging the evildoers and by healing the victims. And God does these things because ultimately he still wants to be with his people. He still wants to bless his people. 
So this chapter of Ezekiel brings us very good news. So let's start with the shepherds of the sheep. Um, in high school, we had a chapel speaker who taught us about sheep once. And I remember that we learned about how stupid sheep are. There were a lot of examples about how bad they were at finding their own food and they aren't very good at knowing if plants are poisonous or not. And we were even expected to repeat back in this chapel, we are stupid sheep. And I know it was probably meant to be funny, but at the time, like that did not feel like good news at all. I was mortified. Like it just made me feel worthless. And it's so weird looking back on it because being a sheep, like the idea that we're stupid, that isn't even close to what God's intention was in using this metaphor. And actually, when we look in scripture, we know that sheep are incredibly valuable and they're a significant part of Israelite life. So, you know, we can start in Genesis with Abel and presenting this perfect sacrifice of a lamb. And we can go right through to the perfect lamb in Revelation. And we can see sheep are valuable creatures. And it is true that sheep are not particularly wise, but whole livelihoods in scripture were built on the value of sheep and what they could provide, wool and meat and milk. And we've got shepherds throughout scripture, Abraham, Rebecca, Moses, David, and they were all shepherds. So by using this metaphor here in Ezekiel, like I want you to see it isn't like, oh, it's so cutesy, like sheep and shepherds, warm and fuzzy. Like maybe it's just a really nice change of pace after all the doom and gloom. No, like God's word here is reminding his listeners of their history and their identity as valued creatures belonging to God. And because sheep are such defenseless creatures and they have no way of being able to protect themselves, shepherds are essential. They really do have to do everything to take care of sheep. They have to make sure that they're safe from predators. They have to make sure they're safe from eating too much. If a sheep eats too much, like they don't know when to stop, it can uh, make them sick. Sheep have to have calm water sources to drink from because rushing water really scares and agitates them. And then when the grass runs low, they don't know where to go. So they have to be led to fresh pastures to feed. And I got a lot of this information from a great book that you should check out if you have time. It was called Scouting the Divine. And um, the author goes and meets with a modern day shepherd so that she can understand more about what shepherding really means. And this shepherd describes how the life of a shepherd is always very actively counting because you're watching carefully to make sure that all your sheep are always with you as you move them from the field to the other field and then to their pens and back out. And unlike the chapel speaker's focus on what sheep are like, this chapter in this book, Scouting the Divine, shows you just like how much sheep are loved. This modern day shepherd just loves her sheep. And this chapter in Ezekiel isn't really about the characteristics of sheep. It's about 
what the shepherd does. And from God's perspective, he is loving his sheep because all of his sheep are precious and vulnerable creatures. So when we look at it that way, it's no wonder that God is completely horrified when he sees human shepherds of his flock, his people, who are not doing their jobs at the beginning of the chapter. These shepherds are taking without giving back, they're ignoring problems in the flock, they're using harsh, brutal treatments, and they're abandoning them to wild animals. So the sheep have actually been scattered, which is a clear reference to the state of Israel itself, because they've been completely scattered into exile, and they're far from their own land. So God sets himself against these destructive shepherds that have ruined his flock, and he promises to take the sheep away from them. And then a little bit further on in the chapter, God actually goes farther, and he separates out the sleek and the strong and the fat sheep that are keeping the weak injured sheep from sharing in the pasture and the water. And that's actually also a reality in sheep herds. Like apparently there can be a lot of drama and bully sheep that try to like keep others from getting the resources they need. And really like the shepherd has to separate the bullies so that they can't harm the flock. So not only can you have abusive shepherds, like the human shepherds here, but there are also people in the flock themselves that are hoarding resources and bullying and not helping the weak and the injured. So God is shepherding the flock with justice by making sure every wrong is righted. He's taking care of it down to each level. Now, growing up, like it wasn't super pleasant to read any of the minor or major prophets. Like I just couldn't understand why God was so angry and it really sounded so harsh and judgmental and scary. And I think it's easy when you read those passages um, for us to forget all the context from the previous history of Israel about how badly and how continuously and for how long Israel had just really been messing up and how patiently God had been waiting to actually enact this judgment. And now that I'm an adult, I actually feel like I understand God's judgment much better because as an adult, we're here at least, you know, like hopefully you're shielded from a, a kid, but hearing horrible stories of abuse in all the different realms and ranks of our lives, it makes more sense why God is so angry, right? So God sees people, God sees us as these kind of utterly dependent, vulnerable, defenseless sheep. And every day, the kind of disastrous treatment that God is describing in Ezekiel 34 is happening to people around us and maybe even to us. And we live in the same kind of hostile environment that is happy to destroy and plunder the weak and the injured. And there are a lot of people who are just caught in circumstances out of their control, financial, medical, corporate, Maybe it's personal relationships that they're just stuck, right? And when we see injustices happening against the people who don't have the resources to advocate for themselves, when we see abuses against kids and immigrants, when we see powerful bullies just trampling many people, 
we can understand God's anger. And we can relate more to this imagery of the helpless sheep that are vulnerable to brutal systems and ruthless shepherds. And I don't know about you, but I really thrill to this promise of God to remove them from power. For victims, God's judgment is this validation that what they're experiencing is wrong. And someone is seeing that and someone cares and they actually have the power to hold evildoers accountable for their actions. So God's going to remove bad leaders and bad sheep so that they can no longer inflict harm. For the abusive shepherds, this is a judgment. But for the sheep, it's love. And then it gets even better, right? So God's role as a shepherd doesn't stop at just rooting out and removing the bad things, removing evil. In verses 12 and 13, then God finds all the scattered sheep and he's going to gather them back to their homeland out of exile. And then in 14 to 16, he's feeding them in good pastures. He's healing the injured. He's strengthening the weak. And in the final part of the chapter, God is describing this same kind of like glorious abundance and flourishing of life that we get to read about in Revelation. This glorious, um, just like the garden and like the trees blooming and so much stuff that's growing and nourishing in a new heaven and a new earth. We see this little same glimpse of it here. So God is going far beyond removing evil. He's making everything new and full of life and full of peace. In verses 25 to 27, God makes a new covenant of peace and he places a new shepherd, my servant David, in charge. So to Ezekiel's listeners, like that would have reminded them of the golden age of Israel, right? With King David on the throne, a united kingdom, and David was a shepherd himself. And of course, you know, you might've thought of his famous Psalm, um, Psalm 23 might have come to mind as we started reading this, right? So he wrote that. So for the Hebrew listeners, those words are stirring this hope of like a return to that kind of kingdom. But for us, like we know that these words are clearly pointing forward to the coming Messiah. And in John 10, Jesus claims this image, this title for himself, and he calls himself the Good Shepherd. And he announces that the kingdom of God has come. So just as God describes here in Ezekiel 34, Jesus comes and he rescues the sheep. And during his life, he spends time with the poor and the marginalized and the sick. And he's doing those same acts of healing and bringing flourishing. And in one passage, you know, he's looking out over the crowds and he feels compassion for them because they're like sheep without a shepherd, which we know is fatal, basically. So he goes far beyond the signs and wonders that he's performing there with like healing and miracles and feeding the 5,000. He goes even further. In John 10, 10 and 11, he declares, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So rather than taking without giving back like the bad shepherds, Jesus gives his very life for the sake of the sheep. 
And that life, Jesus's death and resurrection, usher in this new covenant of peace that God is talking about. His reign as the good shepherd is here. It has begun. And he commissions the believers to work with him, partnering in the shepherding work over the church. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up into a healthy flock. In a passage that also echoes this chapter in Ezekiel, Peter writes to the elders, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So not all of us are called to be elders, pastors, evangelists, prophets, that whole list, but we are all given spiritual gifts in the New Testament. And it's the same spirit that's giving all of these gifts for the same purpose, right? To build up the flock, to work together as one body. And so all of us in our own ways are contributing our gifts to the flock. And we get to be both a sheep, God's sheep, and many of us also get to be called to shepherd others, whether it's our kids or our students, Bible study groups, mentoring young people, like probably somewhere in your life, you've been called to shepherd another person. And so in the actions that God takes in this chapter, we actually find so many practical examples of how we can participate in caring for our flocks too. We can gather hungry people to our tables. Well, not right now, but in the future, again, someday. Um, we can connect with exiles. We all feel exiled in some sense right now. We can create homes and safe places where people can rest with us rediscover their identities, know where they belong. And when we help people nurturing and feeding their faith, maybe we just find resources and recommendations for healing journeys that they're on. Maybe we are speaking encouragement and praying for the oppressed. Those are all actions that we get to do that participate in shepherding the flock. And yet, I think one of the things that's um, so common is to become discouraged quickly. I think a lot of us feel like our com contributions are like so minimal compared to the needs, right? And it's really easy to just become overwhelmed with the conflicts and the wounds and just the constant needs that are bubbling up in our families and our church community. So it can be hard to believe that like, we're making any difference. It can be hard to believe that wounds are going to be healed, that we'll get through conflicts together. And we still see a bunch of human shepherds today completely failing flocks. Like it just feels like every week there's another article about abusers and people that are getting fired because they have not taken care of the people that they were supposed to. So we watch those things happen, right? And it can be discouraging because even when we watch people speak up for the truth and speak out for justice, they often face a lot of hostility and obstacles to actually achieving the justice that they are pursuing. 
that's why the most important part of this chapter is in the few verses at the end where God makes some declarations. Because basically, the entire theme of Ezekiel is that we will really know that God is real and that God does what he says he will do. And God is saying he is the chief shepherd. This chapter is full of like just this intense possessiveness and really like so much active work that God is doing. It's God's flock, God's sheep, God's people. He's doing the work. So we are never alone in doing this. God is actually working to right wrongs and to bring about flourishing. And we're not powerless, even if our work feels small. So these last statements at the end of Ezekiel 34 are, God says, then they will know that I am the Lord. And this is a statement he makes throughout Ezekiel because it is saying, I need you to know that I'm going to follow through. So most of the time, it's about judgments that are coming, right? And it's like, oh, then they will know that I am the Lord because the Jerusalem is destroyed. But here it's coming because then we will know that God is the Lord when there is rescue, when there is healing, when there is flourishing. God is going to do those things just as much as he actually carried out the judgment. These things will happen. And at the end of this chapter, God says, then they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and I am your God. These are the most important things that they can remember, and they are the most important things that we can remember. Their special identity as God's people remains, they still belong, and we can cling to the reality of who God is as we serve. God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Shepherding with justice can cost us a great deal, especially if it is the work of removing abusers from positions where they're doing harm. We may be called to protect victims rather than institutions. We have to take allegations seriously. Like this is the kind of gut-wrenching work that some people are called to, and the fallout can be enormous. On the other hand, shepherding with justice also involves these beautiful, simple acts of gathering and feeding and encouraging meals, conversations, safe places to belong. So we need to remind each other that we are all sheep who belong to the Good Shepherd, who is actively shepherding the flock with justice. And in all of the things that we participate in, we get to also shepherd the flock with justice in each of the ways that we get to participate and contribute our own gifts to the body. And so it's our joy that we get to be both a found sheep that is safely at rest in the hands of our shepherd. And we also get to help others know and experience their own belonging. There are no stupid sheep. Only beloved, valuable sheep that the Good Shepherd will bring home. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your enormous promises. And we thank you that we can stand and trust 
in your promises to bring peace and flourishing and healing because we see that you are God and you are with us. Thank you so much for being our good shepherd and for viewing us as valuable sheep that you want to care for. Give us your strength, give us your love, give us your eyes to see how we also can look around at those around us and give them the same kind of love that you give us. Amen.